You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Let's just uh, quiet our hearts and and, uh, for the word of God this morning. I am, as you know, and if you don't know, we're going through this series called Truth Over Trend. I'm really excited about it. it's going to be a tough, some tough uh, things that we're going to walk through and journey through. But um, uh, Flo, Brother Flo, introduced this uh, s- uh, series last Sunday. I thought he did a phenomenal job. If you want the recording, just let me know. I'll send it to you. Um, but today we're going to look at the first, um, the first thing that, the first trend or the first, you know, uh, barrier, the first heresy, maybe I should say, um, when it comes to this truth over trend so the first trend that we're going to look at we're just really going to unpack it today it's going to be a little bit of a of a heavy heavy maybe a lot of information it's not i don't think it's going to be more than 45 minutes so be at ease Uh, but we'll let the holy spirit kind of guide and lead today right Uh, it's going to be heavy in terms of a lot of definitions a lot of technical terms so but i know that you guys are smart and you guys are gonna I, i had a I had the upper hand and, and I was able to study it for, for the last few weeks really well. So I hope that I'm not going to rush through it. So I, I, I pray that I'm just going to take my time and that I'll be clear today. And I pray, I pray that our hearts will be open for just to receive the word of God. Uh, just a couple of more disclaimers right from the beginning. I'm going to cite my sources right from the get-go because I may forget. <laughs> so two major uh, sources that I've used. I'm not smart enough to put this together. So I've, I've uh, just read a lot <laughs> the last few weeks. And, and, and thank God for just amazing men and women of God that are smart and they are godly. right? Not just smart, um, but godly. That, that actually should be first. Uh, so Dr. Neil Shenvey, he's a guy that has been just wrote a lot on this issue of so we're going to look at critical social justice or social justice. So Dr. Neil Shenvey uh, and then my friend, uh, which pastors at Harvest Bible Church, uh, Mike Moses, brilliant, brilliant uh, guy that loves the Lord. He's one of the pastors at Harvest uh, Bible Church in, in Westland. They're actually just a few miles away. The other disclaimer that I want to bring before you is that please keep in mind that I'll be using social justice and critical social justice synonymously uh, because they are the same thing. Okay, a lot of these heresies that we are going to look at uh, in this series, uh, just like social justice, it stems out from this critical theory found and inspired in Marxism. So just know that I'll use critical social justice or social justice, we are, I'm using them synonymously because they are the same thing. Okay, I want to share with you a story, and this is going kind of back to my senior year in high school. Um, a story about me joining my not-so-good friends for me, you know, uh, my not-so-good-for-me friends, I should say, to, in beating up a guy. I know, I know. This was a part of my rebellious season. I repented of that. I assure you of that. Uh, but we had a tight group of friends back, back in the day, back in high school. And like I said, they were not such a good influence on me. The thing is that I never really felt that I belonged. Right? And everything these guys were doing and experiencing, right? I, I, I would always be the, the guy that would hold everyone back. Hey, guys, let, we're, we're crossing the line here. This is too much. You know, oh, come on, let's not do this. Nevertheless, we did some pretty bad stuff. But in this particular situation that I'm about to share with you this morning, I guess 
you can see the leader of our crew, had a girlfriend that was a, attending a different high school than all of us, the crew, uh, uh, that, than all of us did, right? And, and one of the guys at this high school, I still remember the name of this high school, Forest Heights, it's not, yeah, let's, let me continue with the sermon. It's not irrelevant. <laughs> it's irrelevant. So one of the guys at this high school was, given, uh, was giving her a hard time. And he was being mean to her. Uh, he was, you know, calling her names, making fun of her, and some other stuff that I can't remember. Now, a few of the guys in our group, you did not want to mess with them. <laughs> they were known. They were kind of known for tough guys, right? They were pretty violent at times, right? And I promise you this is a real story and not a mafia movie scene. I promise you that. I'm known for maybe sometimes, you know, it was just once, okay? Once that I gave you a, an interesting story that was not true. Come on. As my buddy was telling us the story, right, I felt this gut-wrenching urge for justice. It's like, man, I can't believe this is happening to you. I can't believe this is happening to your girlfriend. Like, what? No, we got to stand up for this. We got to, this guy needs to pay. Justice needs to be served. We got to make things right, right? So five of us get into a car, drive to this high school. We find this guy and we beat him up pretty bad. Yeah. The thing is that I didn't want to do that. I don't want to do it. I, I never thought, I wasn't even thinking that it would escalate to violence, right? I, I thought we would just give him a good scare, right? That's what I thought, right? But even though I didn't hit him personally, I didn't do that, right? I acted as one of the guys that, you know, uh, um, that holds the crowd back and to allow the action to continue, right? It didn't matter. I was an accomplice to this injustice because I was misled by a noble and good intentioned emotion, right? To fight for my friend, to fight for his girlfriend, right? To make things right. Why am I telling you this story? And by the way, the guy ended up being okay. Just a couple of black eyes, right? Nothing too bad. Uh, it was very different back then, by the way. It doesn't mean that, Never mind. I'll just leave it at that. I'll just say I repented of all of that. I assure you of that. <laughs> So why am I telling you this story? As I was, just as I was misled, misdirected by maybe what at, at that time I thought it was a noble thing to do, to help out a friend, to make it right, to see justice being served. I was actually a casualty of a greater evil plot. And the reality is I desired justice. Like, man, I want to stand for this, my version of justice. And in the end, I was the one doing more harm to people. I was the one that was being unjust. In that same way, many people today and many Christians who are probably misled by a well-intentioned desire for justice say this. Well, let's pursue critical social justice and make everything right by getting rid of the oppression. Let's do it. It sounds good. It's got the word justice in there. The Bible does too. God is about justice. Let's, let's do it. The sad thing is that they have no idea what they are signing up for. They are signing up for something that is completely and utterly opposed to God. Something that is hostile even to the gospel. Let's start with this big idea that this um, movement, the critical social justice movement or worldview, it's actually a worldview, seems very attractive to many Christians. It does. We need to keep in mind that at the heart of this movement is the fact that social justice divides all human beings into two 
categories. That's it. Not three, not one, two categories. And everyone needs to be a, in one or the other. The oppressed and the oppressors. The oppressed and the oppressors. This ideology seems attractive to Christians because the fact is that there are genuine oppressed people in our world. There are. <laughs> Many of them. Our world is broken. And there, there are a lot of oppressed people in our world. And there are oppressors in our world as well. Right? Now, one of, the, one of the reasons for Christians adopting this ideology is that Christianity as a social group, not as the genuine you know, church of God. So Christianity as a social group has been on both sides of the equation throughout history. On the oppressor side and on the uh, oppressed side. So from this point of view, I can definitely understand the fact that there is sympathy as Christians are trying to navigate through this, right? And this is an opportunity to kind of set things right. Especially when at a first glance, the critical social justice seems like a noble thing to do and to embrace. The crazy thing, and at the same time ironic, I believe, is that at the very foundation of this worldview, hear me out, at the very foundation of this worldview, God is the ultimate oppressor. We, I'll say that again. At the very foundation of this worldview, God is the ultimate oppressor. We need to keep that in mind. Now, this may not, they may not say it explicitly, but that's exactly what the case is. He's got all these standards, our God, or this God, and he imposes them on everyone else. I mean, he's got a book, the Bible, full of standards and things that he imposes onto people, right? The entire narrative of this critical theory is fundamentally opposed to God, and therefore opposed to the Bible, opposed to biblical principles and, and values, therefore opposed to Christianity and opposed to a Christian reading of reality. By the way, do you know what a communist regime goes for as it's installing itself in power? It gets rid of the idea of God. That's what it tries, anyways. And they do it by burning Bibles and a lot of, a lot of other books or any other book that advocates for the Bible. And it tries to erase the idea of God from people's hearts and minds. That's what it goes for. Now, whatever the reason... For embracing this movement, the fact is that, as Spurgeon put it, and I quote, the devil is not afraid of dust-covered Bibles. The devil is not afraid of dust-covered Bibles. Sure, many Christians choose what they choose because they don't care what the Word of God says. Well, at that point, can we still call them Christians? Probably not. But others choose to embrace what they choose to embrace because, well, their Bibles are covered by dust. They really don't know what the Bible says or they choose not to know. So the first question that we need to ask is this. Is social justice biblical? Is social justice biblical? Well, let me give, let me give you the answer right from the get-go, as I already probably did. And then we can unpack it a little bit. As commonly understood in our culture, I'll say that again, as commonly understood in our culture, social justice is not biblical, is not biblical. I'll say it again, justice is an important concept for Christians, and it should be, 
And and do you know why? Do you know why? That's because justice is an attribute of God. It's who God is. He is just. He's infinitely just. And for those of us that love the God of the Bible, justice is at the very heart of our salvation. Did you know that? The book of Romans tells us that God has justly justified the unjust through Christ. We see this in Romans 3. I I challenge you to go home and read Romans 3. And so we should care about justice. We should. And we should want to see biblical standards of justice. And we should want to see them implemented in our society. Your heart should be about justice. My heart should be about justice. Right? If it's not, don't know if we're saved. Don't know if we understand grace. Don't know if we understand salvation. We also desire justice because of the simple reality of sin. Because of our reality of our depravity. The depravity that we see in us, all of us, humankind. And, and because of this, there's a lot of injustice in our society. Now, I don't think it takes long living on this planet before we realize that we're pretty messed up as a society. <laughs> we are. We're pretty broken as a society. And I'm pretty sure that everyone here has experience mistreatment or injustice of some sort, or if not, you know someone who has, right? And therefore, you have felt this yearning, this gut desire, deep desire for justice, a desire to set things right, to make things right. And that's a good thing. I love to see Christians working toward justice for truly oppressed people. We should love to see that. Whether they are unborn children, right? Or abused wives or victims of trafficking. I can, if I think about that, I'm, I'm just thinking of, of Taya, our, our, our daughter, right? And thinking about child trafficking or, I, I, I just, I can't. I can't think of it more than a few seconds because I, I have this like rage welling up inside of me and I'm, I'm, I just can't take it. I just can't. Everything in me screams for, Lord, do some justice, please, Right? Think, think of targets of ethnic profiling or, or caste discrimination. I can't forget that as a little kid living in Romania for a few years, you see a lot of crime in a third world country. And to give you an example, there was so much racism and hostility between Romanians and Hungarians living in Transylvania. That's where I'm from. Well, that's where I was born anyways. I could never forget riding the bus one time, and I was five or six, five years old, riding public transportation, right? That should give you an idea of, you know, third world country. And this guy was dragged outside of the moving bus by four guys. And as I was looking behind the bus, and he was dragged out by his hair, by his throat, by punches and kicks to the face, I saw these four guys looking behind the bus, just beating this guy to a pulp, kicks to the face, blood everywhere. I was just a little kid. I was five or six. Yeah. There's some things in life that when you experience them, when you see and hear the evil and the oppression that happens to people, something wells up inside of you. And, and all you want to do is scream out loud, Lord, where are you? Please do something. Do justice. And to say the least. Working for justice is a great and an awesome thing. To pursue justice, that's an amazing endeavor. 
for Christians and for anyone else for that matter. But as people of God, and please search, hear me out. As people of God, if we care about justice, and we should, we should absolutely hate to see a false kind of justice. Yes, yes. Right? A postmodern kind of justice, a postmodern version of justice that's being advanced in our society. And I believe that's exactly what we are seeing today. We are experiencing a critical social justice being promoted and advanced by quite a number of people. And, and he, he, sadly, even Christian leaders and pastors and churches have embraced this unbiblical version of justice. It's very interesting to me that the advocates of this critical social justice, they're still using the word justice. But they're using it in a totally different way. They're using the word justice with different definitions, different presuppositions, different beliefs, different goals, right? Uh, totally different than God's version of justice that we so clearly find in God's word. So just because people use the word justice, it doesn't make it right or biblical. Someone once said, and I quote, you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. End quote. I love that. Unlike the civil rights movement during the 50s and the 60s in our country, which often appealed to Christian ethics and values, right? Critical social justice has very little to do with the biblical version and standards of justice. So my suggestion is that if we care about biblical justice, if we care about this a biblical version of justice being implemented in our society, then we should oppose what we call social justice in our day. You may hear that and you say, whoa, 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 hold your horses, buddy. There's some semantics going on here, right? Because there's a lot of common ground that we have here. I mean, I think you're making much of the differences and maybe overlooking some of the commonalities between social justice and, and biblical justice. Let me be very candid with you this morning. I don't think so. I don't think so. I challenge you. I challenge each one of you to do a brief study of this. You don't even have to go in depth. Do a brief study of this. Read all the passages in the Bible on justice. Mm -hmm. Just, I'm sure you can use Google or some other, you know, software that you have or whatever. Read all the passages of justice from the Bible and then read the primary sources on critical social justice and compare. And then we'll talk. Yeah. Just, just do that. The reality is that we won't take the time to do that. But what we will do is give our attention to what everyone else thinks on this matter. The radio and, and you know, uh, media and all of that. We do that with a lot of things in life, don't we? No wonder we're so lost sometimes. Our Bibles are covered by dust. Kevin DeYoung um, did a major study on all the justice passages in Scripture. Passages, so this is where you're going to find most of the justice passages in the Bible. Leviticus. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Micah, Matthew, and Luke. So he did a, just a, kind of a, a study on, 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 on all these passages. And here's the Young's conclusion. Justice as a biblical category is not synonymous with everything and anything we feel would be good for the world. Doing justice means, hear this out, following the rule of the law. Showing impartiality, paying what you promised, not stealing, not swindling. That means 
being deceitful, cheating, or being dishonest, right? Not taking bribes and not taking advantage of the weak. Hmm. Now, the opposite of that, and let me just read to you the definition of social justice from the Oxford Dictionary. Justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. That's their definition. Critical social justice, according to its advocates, is about identity, power, and outcome equity. And when the phrase social justice is being used in our modern world, right, when people use that, it typically refers to to this version of justice, the critical social justice, just so we're clear. So I hope that you can see that even from these definitions, the two Justice versions are very, very, very different. But what I want to do is approach this through a biblical lens and say, okay, if social justice is biblical justice, then we need to go to God's word and understand when it would no longer be biblical justice. And so we are going to go through five points, five points that will give us a pretty good footing on what biblical justice means and on what critical justice really stands for. Ready for this? Just five. It'll be easy. They're heavy, but I'm sure we can do this. So number one, social justice is not biblical justice if it calls evil good and good evil. It's not if it calls evil good and good evil. This is what Isaiah 5.20 says. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You may be familiar with the concept of intersectionality, or maybe not, that's fine, which is a primary framework within critical social justice. Now, intersectionality began as an examination of how black women may experience a matrix of oppression, different layers of oppression, right? Sometimes due to racism, sometimes due to sexism, or sometimes both, right? And by the way, that was an awesome endeavor. I mean, sure, to work through those things and to try to spot injustice, yes, that a minority of women might experience in a very unique way. Let's do that. Let's put in money and effort to do so. Yes, however, it started off that way, however, This intersection of oppression added lanes for LGBT individuals and other quote-unquote oppressed groups. Hmm. So if you're not in the oppressed category, right, you are by default in the oppressor category and you must renounce your group identity in order to become an ally. Well, okay, doesn't leave us with many options, does it? I guess I'm the oppressor. So the question for us Christians is to ask, by what standard are these different identities categorized by oppressed? Like, who's the one calling them oppressed? By whose standards? Like, you just kind of, you know, it's it's a moving target. Like, let's just add whatever I want to add as oppressed. Well, that's exactly what's happening. (laughs) Now, LGBT, you know, according to Scripture, is sinful. Right? That's, That's just... Plain and simple. And, and if we acknowledge that, then that's not oppressive by God's standards. We should be kind about it. We should be graceful and gracious about it. Right? But we should acknowledge that sin. To give you another example, 
God word, God's word does outline different roles for men and women. It does. It's very clear about that. Now, we are all equally valued in the eyes of God as men and women. We're the same. God loves us the same. We're valued the same, right? We are all created in, in his awesome image as men and women. But God designed us or for us different roles. We're complementary. We complement each other, right? God knows best. God knows how this whole life on earth works best. So a woman, for example, is denied the opportunity to become a lead pastor of a church. But that is not oppression, biblically speaking. It's not. Now, some churches may interpret that differently, and that's fine. I'm just giving you an example to prove a point. Every religion apart from biblical Christianity is a false religion. And to acknowledge that, and again, we need to be kind about it and gracious about it, but to acknowledge that that should not be oppression. In critical social justice, all of these issues are intimately linked. And here's what we have to understand. If you get into this oppressed versus oppressor framework, know that eventually, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, they will come for you. And not only that, but did you know that there's, there's a kind of cannibalism, that's what they call it, a cannibalism going on where, where if you're not as woke as us, we're coming for you. It's a moving target. Just to give you an example, the radical feminist... Today, this is going on right now. The radical feminists are at war now with the transgender activists. Because the radical feminists say, well, guys, whoa, whoa, you can't just declare yourself as a woman, right? Because not everyone is a woman. And if you do that, you will totally erase us, erase feminism. And these groups are not even Christian groups. But what I'm trying to say is that the critical theory is a moving target that always moves and evolves. And if you compromise a little today, your end is near and clear. If you give an inch today, tomorrow you may have to sacrifice your heart. If you read the primary sources, if you read about the Marxism conflict theory and Antonio uh, Gramsci's concept of hegemony, it's even hard for me to pronounce that, and all the literature that supports critical social justice. And for example, one of the leading advocates for intersectionality, these you know, layers, different layers of oppression, Vivian May, you may have heard of her name, says that black women, check this out, black women may not be advocated for if they are Bible-believing Christians because they support biblical values. Like, how crazy is that? Like, so let me get this straight. The very group that intersectionality began with for support and justice is being cut out now because of their allegiance to the Bible. How crazy is that? Ibram X. Kendi, one of the major writers for popular level critical race theory, writes that Christian uh, missionaries are guilty of colonization, all of them are, and exporting white supremacy. Even if all they do is share the gospel. Can you believe that? I mean, the Bible says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And in many ways, that's exactly what critical social justice does. Let's go to the second point. Social justice is not biblical justice if it is partial. It's not if it is partial. Jesus said in, in John 7, 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. 
In contrast to, to critical social justice, we must not prejudge based on social or, or uh, societal identity. For example, Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Now, now listen, we, we might be inclined to show favoritism to the rich, right? To the great. Because of bribes and all of that. That's, that. that stuff happens all the time, right? But neither should we defer to the poor in matters of justice just because we feel sorry for them. Like, oh, you know, oh, you kill a person, but you're poor. That's fine, that's fine. You know, we'll just kind of like, yeah, because you're poor and you don't have money. No, that's, that's, we, we cannot do that. God says in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. We shouldn't judge according to appearances and assume that someone is innocent or guilty based on skin color, gender, or socioeconomical status. The way we operate as Christians based on 2 Corinthians 5.16 is from now on. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I love that. It is unjust and not right that entire groups would be oppressed simply because of their appearances. That's evil. I think that as Bible believers, we can all agree that's very wrong. And I hope that we can all agree on this as well. That it's very wrong for entire groups to be villainized simply based on their appearances. Historically, that sort of a thing never, never really ends well. <laughs> as Christians, we should love all of our neighbors. Amen. And lead the way, cultivating sympathy and kindness towards those that have different backgrounds and experiences. Amen? But we have to do this based on God's word, not on sociology books. So we cannot be partial. And again, in many ways, that's exactly what critical social justice does. The third point that we want to make this morning is that social justice is not biblical justice if it does not operate truthfully. If it does not operate truthfully. In Proverbs chapter 20 verse 10, God's word says this. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Justice is not justice unless it is truthful. It's not. I don't care how many times you use the word justice in there. This is why in God's word, there has to be multiple witnesses to establish a charge. You can't just, well, I'll take your word for it. No, 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 no. No, that there be a bunch of people there, elders, and then, and then, right? It's the principle of verification, right? Also, according to God's word, the eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth principle, by the way, the principle of proportion, it's actually not a scripture about vengeance and vendettas. Did you know that? <laughs> It is actually a scripture about proportional justice. That's what it is. About not exactly more than the wrong that was done. That's what it is. Verification is important. And proportion is important. And we must operate in truth when it comes to justice. However, let me give you an example of how critical social justice often operates in lies. And again, I'm going to quote Ibram X. Kendi. And I quote, any disparity between social groups is always, is always a result of discriminatory policies. Really? 
So what he's saying is that every disparity that we find in our society between groups, every inequality, every discrepancy is in society is always, always, always because of discrimination. Well, no, come on, let's not exaggerate here. That's not the case. A big no. Disparities can be a result of discriminatory policies, 100%. They certainly can be, but they are not in every case. In fact, we can go to God's word for this. And so let's go to the parables of the talents in Matthew 25. And the master in this story who represents Christ gives one man five talents, another man two talents, and another man one talent. And by the way, they are all men. And are we to assume from that story that God is unjust? And not giving not only equality of outcome, but an equality of opportunity. I don't believe that's the point of the story. When it comes to disparities, when it comes to disparities, we have to simply look at other variables. There are other variables out there, right? And let me just give you some examples. Household stability, that's a huge one, right? We have to look at location. We have to look at age. We have to look at cultural expectations and priorities. We have to look at one of the biggest ones that's overlooked, a matter of choice and responsibility. What happened to that, right? That's not me saying that there, there, there is no disparity that's a result of discrimination. That's, I'm not saying that. Please don't hear me say that because I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying we must look more closely at the examples that are brought to us. However, when all you have a hammer, all you see is nails, right? When the only tool you have is a framework of power and oppression, oppressor and oppressed, that's it. Well, everything looks like maybe the white Christian discriminating against everyone else, right? But we must use tools of economics, of objective science, right? Evidence-based justice, and of course, biblical theology, to evaluate different disparities in society. I mean, don't get me wrong. We've just kind of covered that. And I hope that you, um, I don't know, you understood my heart when, when even when I see now injustice exists. It does. There's no shortage of that in our broken society, broken world. I think of the different, um, uh, the difficulty of the Uyghurs in China right now. Or the Christians in Nigeria that are slaughtered by the dozens or the unborn in America, or the slavery that continues in many places around the globe. It is a heartbreaking thing. And there has been real injustice in the history of our country. And I'm not here to say, well, let's just forget about that. That's not what I'm saying, or that there aren't any consequences because of that. That's not what I'm saying. Our position should be this. If there are any remaining policies or practices that objectively discriminate towards or against particular ethnicities, they should be absolutely abolished and changed. That would be justice. If a person is, is in power, is discriminating unjustly, and that can be proven, that can be proven, accountability is absolutely needed. I am completely for that, amen? If an institution culture needs to be addressed, then address it. But my point is to be precise, and truthful about the problem which lead will lead to the most helpful and God-honoring solution. Because when everything is oppression, or everything is oppression, that's because you guys discriminate against... No, that nothing is oppression. Right? 
An actual oppression is likely to be overlooked in that, in that scenario. Then the abused women and the kids, and they, they're overlooked because everything is oppression, but nothing is oppression. You know what I mean? It's so evil. It is so evil. And as people of truth, we must not deal in vague ways about systems in society. Justice without truth is not justice. Number four, we have two more. Almost there. Social justice is not biblical justice if it undercuts other biblical concepts or undermines. Um, I think that by this time in the message, everyone can say that, yeah, yeah, the Bible is for justice. Yeah, sure, I can see that. The Bible is about justice, so, so justice is important. But let's make sure we, we, we don't confuse justice with other tools that God, that God has been given us to address the broken world. There are other tools that God has been given us. Not everything is about justice. For example, we do have an obligation of mercy towards the poor and the disadvantaged. We do. And let's be very clear what it is. That is mercy and not necessarily justice, right? And as Christians, we do have that obligation. I want us to, I want to, you know, I want us to hear that. And mercy towards the orphan and the widow and to give generously to those in need. That's our obligation as Christians. And by the way, forced generosity is not generosity. That's what communism does. <laughs> it's, I'm saying a lot here. But let's not confuse justice with mercy. They go hand in hand, but I do not believe they are the same. At the same time, let's not take away personal responsibility, diligence, and wisdom. And the kind of, that, that we see in the book of Proverbs, uh, the book of Proverbs talks about. Let's not overlook the many, many statements in Scripture about dealing wisely and diligently and working hard, right? We have that we need, that we need to consider. Here is a statistic for you, mind-blowing. 98% of Americans, 98% of Americans who finish high school and get a job, any kind of job, and wait until marriage to have kids, do not end up in poverty. Just, it kind of gives us an idea when we, when we talk about responsibility. That this is not the only variable. No, I'm just adding more. It's not that simple. You don't have to choose between acknowledging oppression and promoting personal responsibility. For us Christians, we should be about both. Like we don't have to choose one or the other, <laughs> right? We are really not helping people if we incentivize grievance and victimhood. We're not. We're not doing anyone a favor. And it's really not truthful to paint a culture as if discrimination is the only or the primary reason for failure. No. This is exactly what Robin DiAngelo does in her writing. She is, again, another popular writer when it comes to like, critical social justice. But she's like one of those like, cool writers, right? A lot of young people fall for her teaching and what she writes. She says that if someone is a victim, they can't do anything about it until the oppressor decides to change. Sure, that's the case when it comes to child trafficking. They can't help themselves until the guy is caught, and I hope he is, and he's just brought to justice. I wanted to say something else, but I'll just leave it at that, right? Right? But that's not the case in every situation. My goodness, that is really disempowering to people. Disempowering, uh, rather. Think about how Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman in John 4. Very interesting. Who in our modern way of looking at things, she'd be considered oppressed in many, many ways. She was an ethnic minority, right? She was a religious minority. She was a woman and she was immoral. Whoa, that's a, a lot of layers. That's, that's a matrix of oppression right there. And yet Jesus did not speak to her as a helpless victim, but as a responsible human being. 
He also spoke to those that would be considered in the oppressor group, the tax collectors, right? And the, the Pharisees. He spoke to them in the same way as responsible human beings. The New Testament calls us Christians to take responsibility for our lives. We need to take this in consideration too. To work for our food. To, and we see this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. To care for our own. We see this in 1 Timothy 5. Galatians 6 says, each will have to bear his own load. And that's not to say that we're each islands onto ourselves. No, we should love one another and join with one another in ways that scripture calls us to. We love our neighbors. We love our enemies. We show mercy to the needy as the early church did. Galatians 6 always says that, um, also says that we should bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. My point is that there are many biblical concepts that God gives us to address the effects of sin in our broken society. So we shouldn't reduce everything to justice issues. That's what I'm saying. And number five and the last one, social justice is not biblical justice if it reverses the great commandment and distracts from the great commission. It's not if it reverses the great commandment and it distracts from the Great Commission. It is not. It is not. What's the Great Commandment? I'm thinking of Matthew 22. This is the first and the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That and then out of that love, love people. But let's not reverse that. That's exactly what critical social justice does. It reverses that. It's about people first and people. Who cares about God? No, 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 no. Love of God first and then love of neighbor. You will only love your neighbor well if you love God first and with all of your heart. That is a biblical principle. Do not try to love people apart from God. You will hate them. You will hate them. So love of God first and then love of neighbor. It has to be in that order. And then the gospel is always of first importance. We cannot be distracted from that in social. I mean, I love putting shoes on bare feet and giving things. And, but if we do not preach the gospel, we've done nothing. Nothing. The gospel is that, that Christ died for our sins that raised on the third day, right, to bring us the newness of life. And as we repent of our rebellion and sin towards God and put our faith in Jesus, meaning building our life on Jesus, we have a new life to live, a life designed by God himself. And we are to preach to all identity groups without distinction, without restrictions, just like Romans 1 says. That's what ultimately changes hearts and minds. The gospel, not us. It is impossible to receive the gospel and not have your heart changed and still changing. It is impossible to, to receive Christ as a personal Lord and Savior and not have your heart and mind changed and still changing. It's an impossibility. And as we preach the gospel and people receive it, the Holy Spirit will transform us into people of love and hope and people of kindness and people of gentleness and people of self-control, people of peace and people of justice, but biblically defined. I'll end with this, just a quick application point. 
quick application point, my two cents on how to approach a person, this may be helpful, that embraces this worldview of critical social justice, just really quickly. Make sure you are clear about the fact that you embrace justice. Make sure you're clear about that. Clear about the fact that you hate racism. Make sure you're clear about the fact that you hate sexism and and any genuine oppression for that matter. And make sure you're clear on the fact that the Bible is against any kind of wickedness, including oppression. Make sure you're clear about that and lead with that. Just lead with that. Don't just dismiss the critical fear. Don't just say, ah, forget you. I'm not going to talk to you. You think this, no, 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 don't do that. Do not do that. Do not just dismiss the critical theory. Because at that point, all they see is someone who doesn't want to lose their privileges. All they want to see is someone who's justifying their privileges. But once you build a bridge by affirming the fact that you are for justice, a biblical kind of justice, you can then move in and discuss ways in which social justice is not real justice or biblical justice. And who knows? You can bring them to the gospel. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.